As I mentioned, today is Consecration Sunday. To help us get in the mindset of pledging, I want to talk a little bit about the ways that people tend to give money in our society. And I think that there are two broad categories of giving. We all do both of these, but most of us probably haven't thought much about them. The first is what I'd like to call transactional giving. The second is what we might call transformational giving. Transactional giving is quid pro quo. I give you money and you give me something in return, some product, some service. And most of the time we use money, it's transactional. We pay a certain amount of money for a certain amount of something in return. So if you go to the grocery store and you spend $100, you expect to get $100 worth of groceries. Transformational giving, on the other hand, is when you invest in something because of a relationship. And I think one of the great examples of this is children. If raising children was transactional, then all the money that we invest in them would be a loan. We would calculate what we spend on their health care and their education and their clothing and their food and their transportation. Of course, we would have to factor in our labor, the time that we've spent taking care of them. And then the moment they leave for college, we would hand them a bill. This is what I've spent on you. I expect it all back with interest. Now, no one does that because it's not a transaction. It's an investment. What you get back from your children is not something that can be quantified. It's more of a qualitative idea, right? Having children is about relationships. It's about love. And of course, money is one way that we express love. I love you, therefore I'm going to care for your needs without asking for anything in return. One other example that I think is very interesting is the example of newspapers. So when I was growing up, and I think some of you will recognize this, some of you are too, too young to know this, but the only way to read newspapers was to actually buy this piece of paper that had words printed on it. And uh, when you would read them, you would get black ink on your fingers. Any of the old folks remember, remember this? Of course, when the internet came along, a lot of newspapers struggled because suddenly news was free. And if people can get news for free, why would they pay for it? It's estimated that over 2,000 local American newspapers have gone out of business because of the internet. And as an interesting tangent, there's evidence that this is a large reason why we are politically polarized. Because people no longer read the same local news. Now they follow national news and they've lost a feeling of closeness with their neighbors. They don't know what's happening in their neighbors' lives. But the big newspapers have stayed in business because of something called a paywall. If you want to read their news, you pay. And if you don't pay, of course, you don't have access. And here's the thing about paywalls. In a certain way, they are very fair because everybody pays the same price. If Bill Gates wants to read the Wall Street Journal, he pays the same subscription price that I pay. On the other hand, there's a problem with paywalls. It means news is restricted because most people are not going to pay for more than one newspaper. So maybe you read the Wall Street Journal, but you don't read the New York Times. And of course, then you're missing things. You're missing perspectives. The op-eds in the Wall Street Journal are not the same as the op-eds in the New York Times. If you only read the Wall Street Journal or only read the New York Times, you might begin to live in an echo chamber. Now there's a paper in England that knew all of this and wanted to find another way. The newspaper is The Guardian. Many of you know The Guardian. 
It's been around since 1821. It's a fiercely independent newspaper. It has a fiercely devoted readership. It's known for its independent journalism in which journalists follow stories wherever they lead without editorial restrictions. But about 10 years ago, it was going out of business. And it had to figure out a way to raise money. The editors of The Guardian considered putting up a paywall, just like all of the other big newspapers. But it just didn't feel right. They didn't want to limit their audience. They believed in their work, and they wanted every person, rich or poor, conservative or liberal, to be able to access their content freely. And so they decided to bring their readers to London for a big event one weekend and to talk about these problems. At this conference, they presented their readers, thousands of people, with two options. Number one, we can have a paywall. And of course, that's transactional. You get what you pay for. You pay $10 a month. Theresa May pays $10 a month. King Charles pays $10 a month. Very fair. But for anyone who can't pay, they won't read our news. Our independent journalism will be limited to those who can pay for it. And then they presented a second option. Now, honestly, they didn't think anybody would vote for this, but they decided to present it anyway. They said the second option is that everybody gathered here in this room pays more than others. You, our devoted readers, you invest in us in a non-transactional way. You pay us more money than a subscription should fairly cost in order to subsidize readers who can't pay. And what you'll be doing with this generous act is ensuring that even though they can't pay, they can still read our news. Again, they didn't think anybody would vote for that, and so they were surprised when number two received overwhelmingly more support than option number one. Overwhelmingly, people said that it was so important to them to make this wonderful journalism publicly available that they were willing to pay more so that other people could pay less. You want to know what's even more amazing? It worked. The Guardian recently announced that over one million people had become members, not subscribers, members. And after decades of debt, they are now operating at a surplus. But really, these numbers are kind of beside the point because it's not about numbers. I mean, that would be a transactional way of looking at it. People are not getting what they pay for. These members, in one way, they're getting less than they pay for. They're paying too much for the news, and yet in the way that matters most, they receive more than they give because they feel that they are part of something that's larger than themselves. They are contributing to a higher calling of independent journalism. They are paying so that writers are not compromised by advertisers, but can follow stories wherever they lead. Now, that's what we might call transformational giving. Now, the word transformation, of course, implies that somebody has changed. So who has been changed? The answer is that those people who invested in something for the sake of others, they all of a sudden are part of a cause that is larger than themselves. They have a sense of purpose. They are helping other people to be educated about the world. That is how financial offering can lead to personal and social transformation. And believe it or not, I guess we're 10 minutes in, that's a long introduction to our reading today, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. This is from the 12th chapter of Mark, verses 38 to 44. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets 
They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. The scene here is the temple in Jerusalem. It's hard to overstate how important the temple was in ancient Judaism. Just like any institution, just like our church, the temple had to be funded. People had to donate to the temple to ensure that it continued to do all the things that it did in people's lives. The question in this reading is, why are people giving? Are they giving transactionally or are they giving transformationally? First, let's look at the scribes. Scribes were part of the elite In the ancient world, they had a very high status, they had authority and fame, and as so often happens with human beings, fame went to their heads. Jesus says these scribes loved to be admired. They loved to be seen in the marketplaces. They liked people to notice their beautiful long robes. They went around saying long prayers, but not because they were holy. Jesus says that they did it for the sake of appearance. And you see, even that is a transactional situation. They're doing things not because they're inherently valuable to them, but because they want admiration from people. Now, before we judge them, I need to say that this is a blind spot for all of us. I mean, we all know that as religious people, we're supposed to be ethical, we're supposed to be moral. Well, what happens if we become proud of how ethical we are? Do you ever judge people? I mean, I'll take a wildly hypothetical example. Let's say there's an election going on. I don't know. Do you ever judge people as less moral than you? Well, guess what? If the reason you are moral is because you want to be admired as moral, that's actually not humility, that's pride. And the same thing goes for how we use our money. In another place in the Gospels, Jesus gave this advice. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, when you are generous, don't tell people about it. Be generous because it helps others, not because you want to be noticed. And I want to tell another story about this. Some of you may watch the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. There's this wonderful episode in which Larry David decides to donate money to this environmental group. And it's a large sum. And because of this donation, he's going to get his name on this new wing of their office. Now, Is that a generous gesture? Sure, it's a good cause. Sure, it's a good cause. But why did he do it? He wanted his name on the building, right? He wanted to be admired by people. Now, here's the funny part. There's another donor who makes an anonymous gift to the same organization. Turns out the anonymous donor is his friend, friend, uh, Ted Danson. Um, Danson says he's anonymous, but then he goes around the party telling everybody that he's actually the one who gave the money. (laughs) So it's not really anonymous at all. So you see, he wants credit for being both generous and for being humble. And Larry David discovers that this is the ticket, and he tries to change his gift to being anonymous so people will think he's even more humble and generous than they previously thought he was. So anyway, you get the message. Sometimes our generosity is actually a mask for our selfishness and our pride. 
But here's something else that's going on. Jesus is not done with his critique of these scribes. He says that there is yet another way in which they get generosity wrong. He says that they give out of their abundance. And what he means is that their donations might seem large, but when you know how much they have to begin with, their gifts are actually quite petty. And I have to say that I think this, for most of us, is the most searing critique. Because after all, our gifts to the church are confidential, so we really don't have the problem of being admired for how much we give. Very few of us know the amount of anybody else's pledges. Our issue is this second problem, that just like the scribes, we give less than we could give. You see, in the church, we don't do transactional giving. We're not like a gym or a country club. We don't have dues, right? Why would we do this? One, because we think giving is a spiritual practice, It should be between you and God. But secondly, and more importantly, it's because the Bible presents us with a different model. In a country club, everybody pays the exact same amount. doesn't matter how much money you have. But according to the Bible, people with more money should give more to the church. In the Old Testament, this is called a tithe. The Israelites were were required to set aside 10% of their crops to benefit the poor and to go to the temple. And here's what I want to say about this. 10% obviously is a wonderful biblical standard, and I always encourage people to have that number in mind when they're giving, but the important thing is not whether you give 5% or 6% or 7% or 10%. It's shifting to a percentage-based way of thinking about giving. That's the paradigm shift. It's going from thinking, I'll just give this certain amount, to saying, I'm going to give this percentage of what God has first given to me. Does that make sense? The Bible says this, Oh God, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes first from your hand, meaning everything we have is a gift in the first place. So let's do a thought experiment. Let's say I have $100, and I decide to give $2 to the church. Is that generous? Yeah, sure. But I probably won't really miss that money, because after all, I have $98 left. But let's say you have $10, and you give $1 to the church. I mean, that would be a tithe. That would be 10% of your income. Here's the thing. On paper, I gave more than you. And I could feel very proud about the fact that I gave $2 and you only gave $1. But your gift is meaningful in a way that mine could never be because your gift shows trust. You are investing more of yourself in this community. And let's be perfectly honest. When you do give at that level, your gift circumscribes you. I mean, to fund that gift, you may have to make sacrifices. Maybe you have to cut back in certain areas of your life to fund this generosity. But the person who's grown spiritually is you. It's not me. Because you have taken away money as an idol in your life. You said, my dedication is not to money, it's to God. And meanwhile, I might look generous, but in reality, it's just a show. Because as a percentage of my wealth, I actually gave very little. Just want to make sure that that's clear to everybody. And you see, this is where, this, where the story takes us next, because along comes this poor widow. And she comes and she puts two copper coins into the temple treasury. And of course, on paper, she gave much less than the scribes gave. But if you know how poor she is, it's an enormously generous offering. 
Jesus looks at her and he says to the disciples, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to this treasury. For all of them gave out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had. So let's bring this home. What are we going to give to the church? Later in this service, uh, you will be asked to take out the pledge card that's in your bulletin and uh, do a little bit of calculations in terms of thinking about your gift. I just want to say that there are two ways to think about this pledge. One would be uh, transformational. I'm sorry, one would be transactional. You could try to calculate how much value you get out of being a member of Old Pine. How much is the worship worth in dollars? How much is the coffee hour worth? You drink such and such amount of coffee every Sunday. You could try to calculate how much that's worth. How much is it worth to pay the utility bills here? Um, how much is the fellowship worth to you? You know, maybe some weeks more than others. I don't know. Um, you can look at it like that. That would be transactional. The second way to give would be transformational. And in this case, the questions are different. For example, you might ask, what are we trying to build here at Old Pine? I mean, what are we really doing here as a community? Are we trying to have programs that enrich the lives of people? Are we trying to bring the light of Christ into people's lives wherever they are? Do I want to contribute not only so that I can benefit, but that it might be able to bring other people into this place? Now, here's the paradox. When you give transformationally, ironically, you're not thinking of your own well-being. You're mainly thinking of other people. How do I help them find Christ? And yet, paradoxically, you're the one who's transformed. There's a quote in our bulletin I think puts this so well. It's from Winston Churchill. He said, you make a living out of what you get. You make a life out of what you give. So let's bring this to a close. Okay, Jason, will you now just tell me how much I should pledge? <laughs> I can't do that. I wish I could. And honestly, it would be a lot easier if we did transactional giving here. We could just send you a bill. And there would be no mystery about it. There would be no agonizing about it. Either you could pay it or you couldn't. But in the church, it doesn't work like that. We put the question back to you. What kind of a church do you want to have? What is God calling you to give? And I just want to say this. Whatever you decide, I can promise you one thing. You will continue to be welcome here. Because the church exists for others. And that's why we don't charge dues. You can come here week after week and you can never pay anything just like you can read The Guardian the rest of your life and never pay them because somebody did pay. Maybe you didn't pay, but somebody paid. Somebody at some point said, I am so grateful for this gift that I'm giving. I want to make sure other people can experience it. And I want to say one more thing about this. Transformational giving is reflection of how God gives, because when God went to the cross, it was not transactional. God did not say, I'm going to give people exactly what they deserve. He said, they are lost in sin, and I'm going to give them my life anyway. Let's end in prayer. Holy God, the very breath we take is a gift from you. We pray that you would make us generous, not out of a sense of guilt, but out of a feeling of gratitude for what you have done for us. Transform us so that we can help bring your light into the world through this place. In his name we pray, amen.